The existence of evil poses a problem for Christians. Christians believe that God is all good and all powerful. Why then does God allow evil to exist in our world? Because it clearly does. Australia has experienced unprecedented, uh, devastating, catastrophic fires of, of late. It's currently suffering the effects of a hidden evil enemy, COVID-19. And the resulting lockdown is resulting in all sorts of awful consequences, lost jobs, a collapsing economy, increased mental health issues, domestic violence, and many other things that we may find out down the track, all of which are bad. And the end result is suffering and pain. Where is God when bad things happen? Why would a perfectly good and all-powerful God allow such evil, suffering and pain to exist in our world? But of course, this question is just part of a bigger question that is universal and touches all people throughout all time. Where is God when bad things happen, when people suffer, when bad happens to me in particular? I mean, you just have to watch the news any given night to realize that evil and suffering are normal everyday realities. Everybody suffers. If you haven't suffered, it's because you haven't lived long enough yet. But for Christians, the existence of evil and suffering isn't just an abstract riddle to solve. It also presents great difficulty when we personally experience. That's when we tend to cry out, where are you, God? And why, God? Why me? For the non-believer, it's proof that God doesn't exist. My cousin once confronted me with this. Either God is not all powerful or he's not all good because he either hasn't done anything about it because he's not all powerful or he won't do anything about it because he's not all good. Either way, the existence of evil proves that an all powerful, all good God that you claim that the Bible teaches doesn't exist. Sounds like a knockdown argument, doesn't it? But before we look at what the Bible says on this subject, I want to quickly point out that the existence of evil and suffering poses a huge problem for the atheist just as much. In atheism, there is no basis in which to call things morally unjust or evil or wrong. We might label things as evil, but it's just an arbitrary label. There's no solid basis for such a judgment because all there is is evolutionary process and chance. Things happen because they happen because they happen. No meaning, no purpose, no basis and no reason to identify something as either good or evil. But even the atheist, you see, finds it hard to suggest that there is nothing wrong uh, with someone starting a bushfire or looting during those bushfires or rape or murder. They find it hard not to react even to when evil things happen or when suffering takes place in our, in our world. They find it hard not to judge it as bad or evil. But they really have no basis for that judgment at all. And when it comes to real life situations, what can the atheist say to the one who is suffering evil? Bad luck? Well, that doesn't seem to cut it, does it? In atheism, there's no meaning to anything. There's no hope. Everything's just random. Atheism really has nothing useful to, to say to the problem of evil and suffering. Famous academic C.S. Lewis found this to be a problem when he was an atheist, which led him on the pathway to conversion. Okay. What does the Bible have to say? Why does God allow suffering and evil? Unfortunately, in such a short talk, I'm going to simply scratch over the surface of what the Bible has to say because the Bible actually has a lot to say on this big issue. 
But let's start at the beginning of the Bible in all the way back to Genesis 3, where God tells us that evil and suffering entered our world because of mankind's rebellion against God. In Genesis 1 and 2, we encounter a good God creating a good world. Everything was good, very good. But in Genesis 3, when mankind, because this really is the story of us all, wanted to run their own lives, their own way without God, that's when things turned pear-shaped. In Genesis 3, suffering and death is the just judgment of God against our sin. Our world, we ourselves, and our relationships are radically damaged because of our sin and God's judgment on it. So the Bible tells us that suffering exists because of sin, humanity's rebellion against God. Now, I think we could cope a lot more with this judgment even if we thought and discovered that evil and suffering in our world worked according to what we would call karma, where bad things happen to bad people and where suffering was proportional to how bad you are. But the reality is that suffering just isn't fair. There is no direct correlation between how bad you are and the amount that you suffer in life. The Bible actually heavily criticizes this understanding of suffering. The whole book of Job is a massive critique of this way of thinking. Job's suffering is not proportional to his sin. In fact, he's portrayed as an innocent sufferer. In John chapter 9, Jesus tells his disciples that a man's blindness cannot be pinned down to either his sin or his parents' sin. That kind of thinking is just plain wrong. And Luke 13, 1 to 5 makes much the same point. Suffering tells us nothing about how bad someone is, nor what God thinks of them, either good or bad. Jesus himself suffered a horrific amount, but we know that Jesus never sinned. And God loved Jesus and was well pleased with him. Suffering is not proportional to how good or bad you've been. But why doesn't God do anything about evil and suffering in the world? Well, the Bible's answer is that he has and he will. God has done something about it. He came into our world in the very person of Jesus. And when Jesus came, there is story after story of him healing the blind, the deaf, the lame, all kinds of diseases, mental illness and spiritual afflictions. And he even raises the dead. And all these miracles, you see, were signs pointing to an ultimate reality that Jesus came to destroy evil and death in our world. He came to undo the damage of sin entering into our world all those many years ago. How did he do this? Well, each of the gospel tells us that Jesus suffered and died on the cross to bring about God's plan to make this brand new world that is pain free, evil free, death free. Jesus suffered, in other words, to end our suffering. He died to put death to death. Jesus, God in the flesh, shows us that God is not a million miles away from our pain and suffering. He knows what it's like. He suffered our pain to free us from all pain forever. On the cross, Jesus bore our sins. He took our punishment that we deserved. He died our death. On the cross, Jesus suffered hell instead of us. In fact, for us, he swapped places with us. But not only that, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead 
in order to kickstart a brand new world that is suffering free, pain free, death free forever. The promise of the Bible is that one day Jesus will come back again to raise us up to this brand new world that he's already kickstarted. Now, you might like to read about that in Revelation 21 verses 3 to 5 to be encouraged by the wonderful picture we have of this promised new world for us. Why doesn't God do something about suffering? The Bible's answer is that God has done something about it in Jesus and one day he will do away with it all together when Jesus comes back. Now, the natural question is to follow is, so why doesn't God simply do away with suffering now? Why wait? Well, the answer is that our good God actually has a good purpose for suffering. And what I'll do is I'm going to simply give you the main points from the passages that I'm going to look at. But I hope that you're going to spend a bit of time looking at them in greater details in your studies. There's three major good purposes that I want to bring out that God uses suffering for. The first is as a judgment or a form of discipline to lead people to salvation. So if we read Luke chapters 13, 1 to 5, uh, it records two tragedies that took place during Jesus' day. And Jesus makes the point that the, those tragedies are God's warning bell or, if you like, his, his wake-up calls to all of us that things are not right with our world because things are not right between us and God. And therefore, the tragedies of life are warnings for us to repent, to avoid the greater judgment to come. Again, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, it says that God gives us over to our sinful ways as a discipline to teach us that our ways are harmful to ourselves and our societies. We're all going the wrong way. And God wants us to learn from the bad things that happen in life uh, that what we need to do is to turn around, therefore, repent, come back to our good God and be saved. As Jesus puts it in Luke 13, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus is telling us that the tragedies of life are God's warning bells going off to us to turn around. Otherwise, we're speeding head on into a massive Big Mac truck coming the other way called death and hell. Well, the second major purpose is to show that God is able to triumph over evil by bringing out good from the evil in our world. In Genesis 37 onwards, Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. He ends up in Egypt as a slave where he is maliciously accused of rape and subsequently thrown into prison. Joseph suffers major injustice and is really down and out. But through this prison experience, Joseph eventually rose up to become second in command in Egypt. What a major turnaround. In his exalted position, he saves the known world from a huge famine. Ironically, he even saves his own treacherous brothers. And he says to them in Genesis 50 verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God is able to bring about good from evil, even our own evil intentions and actions. And that's very clear when it comes to Jesus, because evil men put Jesus to death and inflicted the worst injustice of human history. It was evil through and through. And yet, 
It was the very way that God used to save the world. God is able to bring about good from evil. He is that good and that powerful. And if we had time, we could give many stories of people who've experienced great good come out of great evil that they've experienced in life. But lastly, and this really does flow out of the last point that we made, God promises Christians, not that they won't suffer, God actually promises that they will suffer. Uh, Acts 14.22 says to Christians, we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. No, God promises Christians in Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now by all things, that especially includes suffering and evil and injustices we face in this world. Christians will suffer, but Christian suffering is not purposeless or aimless. God intends it for our good. It may not be clear what exactly that good is to us when we're going through the suffering, but it will become evident to us later on. Our ultimate good, whichever way you want to look at it, is that we make it to heaven. I mean, nothing could be better than that. So generally speaking, our sufferings in, in life are God's ways of lovingly guiding us all the way to heaven, making sure that we don't get distracted by the world or entrapped by sin along the way and miss out. In Romans 8.29, our good is specifically that we become more and more like Jesus. In Hebrews 12, God is disciplining us as his children, enabling us to mature as Christians into all holiness. And through it all, God promises never to leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 13 verse 5. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes it's the only way that people will listen, you see. And when the danger is extreme, then the measures required to get a favorable outcome are necessarily extreme. God uses hardships and sufferings to lovingly guide us till we get to heaven. Friends, the pains and sufferings of life are God's wake-up call to us all, for Christians and non-Christians alike. For the Christian, it reminds us that we're not living for this world and therefore to set our hope on the world to come. Make sure we get there. If you're not a Christian, then it's a warning that time is running out. The clock is ticking rapidly to, to 12 o'clock when Judgment Day is coming. The sufferings and tragedies of, of life are God's sirens screaming out to a deaf world. Pay attention to the warning. Jesus said, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Amen.